877-823-7941. The Roma Festival is wheelchair accessible and benefits Romani refugees. And this is 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Stay tuned next for Cover to Cover Open Book. Open Book. I'm your host, Nina Serrano. Today we'll be discussing Jack London, the Oakland African American Intellectual, Social, and Business Community, with Mary Rudge, Poet Laureate of Alameda. Mary's been researching Jack London's life for many decades, and most recently she published a series of articles in the New Post newspaper group which covers African American news, from which her next book on Jack London's life will be based. She'll be working with Paul Cobb. Jack London always wanted to be a poet, but his fate was to be known as a novelist worldwide in film translation in the whole world everywhere you go people associate united states literature with jack london he was in fact the first u.s author to make a million dollars welcome to open book mary rutch welcome nina welcome world to nina (laughs) i know they're out there listening yes and they can't see that you have brought in all these books about Jack London, like the complete works of Jack London and uh, what is this other one? This uh, the complete a poetry of Jack London, even though he's not known for his poetry. And what's this one? This is a new anthology of the Poets Laureate of California. All the cities and counties that have a Poets Laureate are included in this book and we hope that more cities will start to recognize and honor literature and say how important it is to life and and to humanity because it does record our experiences. Well, certainly Jack London wanted to be a poet. Can you tell us a little about his early life and maybe start with the context that Jack London was born into, his historic moment? Jack London actually lived not too long after the Civil War. And at the time, many people were not educated, including the 17th president of the United States that followed Abraham Lincoln. Uh, He had not learned to read or write at the age of 17 and was taught by his girlfriend, whom he married next year when he was 18 and she was 16. So this was Andrew Johnson. So when we have presidents who had not been educated, it was not amazing to find that many of the people who came to California had not had a formal education and were very excited to found a university which they began in Oakland Samuel Merritt did and it moved to Berkeley later when Berkeley started up as a city but Oakland was a center the hub of everybody starting new 
not only white people, but black people came here who had been slaves and had not been able to learn to read or write and had to educate themselves. So at the time that Jack London was a child, um, well, just before he came to Oakland, the black population of Oakland was about a thousand. The way that Jack London became involved in the black community was from his very birth. His mother was an unwed mother. He actually never knew who his father was because the person she said was his father denied him. Later, she married and had a stepfather for him named John London. But she couldn't nurse him. She didn't bond with him. She didn't give him a name. And he was dying. So the doctor who had delivered him had also delivered the child of a black mother and that child had died and he persuaded her to save the life of this baby to take him into her home and nurse him and she and her husband did. What her was name was Jenny Prentice. Oh, thanks. <laughs> and her husband was named Alonzo Prentice. The fascinating thing is that ja that Alonzo had been raised as a white person and he really didn't uh, identify with a black heritage at all. So during the time he was serving in the Civil War, it came out when he was down south that he had a black ancestor and they immediately said, well, now you're black. And of course, he couldn't serve in a white regiment anymore and he looked too white to serve in a black regiment. So they gave him an honorable discharge. He had to start his life over as a black person and he met and married this beautiful, wonderful to him, freed slave Jenny, and they came to California. That is then, he started a contracting business. He again had to pass for white many times to build his business, but uh, they were very, very quiet about race. When they came to Oakland, they were friends and social, uh, socially involved with the other black people who had come to Oakland. And these were all people who began things they began the their schools they began the first newspaper for black people they began businesses the first black captain who was able to sail his ship out of the port of oakland uh was his with their friend these were people that made a lot of money and they had beautiful homes but there was not a social mix between black and white people in oakland at that time except jack who was had run of both communities yeah, he, were going in and out of the homes. He did, but he kept secret the the secrets of the black community. It was illegal in those days. In fact, up in California, uh, California was the last one of the last states to integrate even after the United States made a law that it was okay to have an interracial marriage you couldn't do that in California up until the 1950s. So those people uh, had to have hidden lives. A lot of the children were mixed race and they passed as white. In fact, here's a book called um, uh, Dark Light, Almost White, the memoir of a Creole son by Warren Wilson, who was um, Mayor Lionel Wilson's brother. And he tells in his book that even one of their own brothers passed for white and would, couldn't they couldn't mix socially he would come to visit his mother alone after dark um, that this was this was very traumatic and very sad and Jack London learned to keep these secrets so he never told and 
finding out these people that he actually knew that had been meaningful in his life, that had accomplished great things and that were an example for him and a mentor to him through his involvement with Jenny and Alonzo Prentice is, is fascinating. It's, it's, it's going to make a wonderful movie someday. <laughs> Well, we hope so. Yeah, I'm very thankful to Paul Cobb for allowing the newspapers to to publish this series and to um, excite other people to go back and look, perhaps look at their own heritage, their own genealogy, and find out what what their experiences have been and their ancestors' experiences have been. Well, I noticed in one of those articles uh, something really interesting about the first black newspaper was begun by the janitor at the white newspaper. Can you tell listeners about that? No, he was a janitor of City Hall. He served under 17 mayors. He was a brilliant mind. And he, of course, was a free slave who had had to teach himself to read or write. He had a family, was very concerned with politics and education and he knew that um, that by being a newspaper person he would have influence so he founded uh, newspapers more than one uh, the most famous one became the Oakland Sunshine he was a friend of Alonzo and Jenny Prentice they were all, all friends the amazing thing is that he published poetry on the front page of his newspaper I'm really hoping the post is going to have a poetry column and I'm also pushing for all the cities like Oakland and Berkeley to have have multiple ethnic poets laureate named. So I'm still pushing for poetry just like Jack London was. He really, really felt that being a poet was the most ultimate experience you could have. That was the most wonderful language. In fact, even nowadays people want to, if they want to say something is the ultimate they say oh how poetic even a football pass oh pure poetry sheer poetry so he this man who i you mentioned his name but i've forgotten it alonzo prentice no the one who oh, john wiles john wiles who started all those newspapers he was an influence on jack london oh, as a young boy oh very much very much so and he and and jack was you know a very disreputable looking child he wandered around the waterfront selling newspapers uh, to uh, all all, uh, hanging out with all kinds of of people and he didn't really have a social group of friends except for these young mixed race children he was in and out of their home and they they remember him their descendants remember him but uh, that never made his biographies he didn't want to tell because he protected everybody's secrets however he told his daughter Joan once that uh, even though he didn't reveal anything to her about his relationships as a child because in no way would he betray their lives or his connection and it wouldn't have benefited anyone and would have uh, harmed him professionally actually uh, so his daughter though believed that he planned to write a revealing true story about his life before his death and she said he planned to talk with her about race but but he never did but she herself believed that she might have been mixed race but there's no genetic study and Jack Lennon as I said never knew who his father was so we don't know the whole story about Jack Lennon the, the mystery person so yeah, uh, you, you were saying about his secrets, his secrets being that many people were trying to keep their black identity secret so they would be able to earn a living. Well, yes, or their their relationships, yes. Also, um, another another factor is that 
because he became a socialist under the influence of Reverend Woodby, Reverend George Washington Woodby was another person. In fact, it was said of him that he had one of the most brilliant minds in uh, the, in Southern California. But he was a black man who was a freed slave who uh, got the call to be a preacher. And then he, through his church, he was trying to, to feed the poor and help help them and he found out that there was so much legislation tied up with who could uh, have who could dispense food who could sell food that he became a socialist and he came to Oakland and preached in the churches that socialism was po- the political christianity <laughs> then jenny of course heard him because she was very devout. She went to the AME church in Oakland and was in the Mother's Club, the Mother's Charity Club that fed the poor and took care of the wives of men who got, who went to sea and, uh, orphans. They started an orphan's home. They started a home for the aged. So she, um, would always take little Jack to church with her and people actually thought he was part of this mixed race family, a white looking father, a, a black mother. And they had two children of their own also. So he heard Reverend Woodby and he followed Jenny into socialism. When he began uh, running for mayor of Oakland, preaching on a soapbox in front of City Hall saying, you know, equality for everyone. And then later he became a famous author, still saying equality for everyone. Some of the libraries wanted to ban his books. And... He had to uh, fear for loss of his total uh, livelihood. He was supporting quite a few people by that time by his publication. And it was a very frightening thing to think that you would never be able to sell a book, that you would be banned. So those were part of his experiences. And then when he sailed to the South Seas, he found a perfect society of mixed race people. And hmm, he wrote a lot of uh, uh, book sto- short stories and uh, material based on, on that experience, always making the darker person who seems to be the worst person in the book the hero. When you actually read into the book that he, the books that he wrote, you can find metaphors for almost everything in life. One woman uh, from San Antonio, University of San Antonio, uh, saw his story of the call of the wild as a metaphor, as a slave story, that the dog had been captured against his will, forced to do labor, and eventually became free and reverted to his own wild, wild nature. That's a beautiful book. I I never read it as a child, but I did read it this last year. I was very inspired by going to the last saloon at uh, Jack London Square, which is the actual saloon where... Jack London used to work out or hang out. I think he used to he do was his... a child, and they let him come in and go to the bathroom <laughs> and do his homework yeah. at the table because it was warm and and there was light, and and they protected him too from being shanghaied and carried off to sea or from joining up and running away to sea. In those days, as ships captains were law, and they had life and death power over any individual on the ship, and. 
Jack being pretty um, rusty might not have had a good chance of surviving. And that place is still there at Jack London Square. And in fact, there's even a statue of Jack London. And I was surprised to see that I was taller than he when I stood by the statue. I think it was 5'5". Five five. Yeah. yeah. And then there's a, a, a I, I guess it's a, a model, not the real log cabin. That no, it's actually half of the real cabin that was discovered in the Klondike. They found that it that it was the cabin that he had stayed in because he had carved his initials, his name in it. And so they shared it with Alaska. They left half of it there and brought half of it here. And each each state then built the other half onto it. So you don't know which is the real half and which is the half that was re, that was rebuilt, constructed. And Jack London also joined the literary life of Oakland with uh could you talk about that? Well actually Jack London did hang out at the waterfront uh, selling newspapers, but one day when he was 10 years old with these newspapers under his arm, this really raggedy, shabby-looking, unkempt-looking child walked into the library, and he had heard that you could read books for free. And he was amazed. There were thousands of books. And here was this ethereal, beautiful young woman who was the first librarian of Oakland, and her name was Ina Kulbrith. She had gathered around herself all Mark Twain, uh, Joaquin Miller, Bret Hart, all of the literary lights of the time. And so the circle evolved around her. Even when the men kind of broke away and formed their own circle, they formed the Bohemian Club, they, she was still on the fringe. They formed the California Writers Club. Uh, then there's the Ina Kulbrith Circle, which still exists to this day and carries on the study of history and poetry and this is a book too also the heart of the circle at the heart of the circle the life and poetry of Ina Kubert that's recently published by the Ina Kubert circle so I, I love these publications I hope people will just rush off to the library and look for something in the open the poets laureate book the poetry of Jack London you know he wasn't really a great poet but he he really studied poetry as um the person who finally collected all of these poems, uh, Daniel Wichland, it, it took him 20 years to find them and to find out what Jack was reading at the time that he wrote this poem, what he was doing at the time, what was his involvement. So he put all the poems in context. Now, the way I happened to write this first book with Mr. Lasordome, the For Love of Jack London, His Life with Jenny Prentice, this is the true love story of a black woman who took a child of a different race and loved him all of her life. And they, and he loved her. He, she's the first person that he called Mama. And uh, her husband, Alonzo, was the first person he called Papa. So uh, this book came about because of, uh, I think this is really interesting. Um, Mr. Lasordome was a black historian and his wife. They gathered material about a lot of different subjects and Ruth Lasordome decided to specialize in Jack London because uh, not Jack London but Jenny Prentice because her her mother had been Jenny Prentice's friend and Jenny Prentice also had another friend whose name was Esther Lee Jones who's a former grandmother-in-law of 
the current Oakland mayor, Ron Dullum's wife, you know, his, his, his first wife's uh, mother, grandmother. So she was a friend of Jenny Prentice. So these women prevailed upon uh, that that the story of Jenny Prentice shouldn't be lost to the world, and they prevailed upon you know little Ruth to be interested in this. And when she grew up, she gathered the material together about Jenny Prentice. Now we can't find a lot. We can't find photographs. I've been up to look at her grave up in um, the in Oakland. Piedmont Avenue, all of these wonderful people that Jacqueline knew are buried up there. Captain Shorey, he was the first black to sail his ship out of the port of Oakland and, and welcomed little Jack on board, told him stories of of his adventures at sea uh, from which Jack London wrote The Seawolf actually and you can read about Captain Shorey at the Maritime Museum in San Francisco on the at the Maritime Ship Museum, they have uh, down in the hold of one of the ships a video and story about Captain Shorey. So all of these people had a great influence on Jack London. Did he ever meet up with uh, Robert Louis Stevenson who passed through here? Actually, when Jack London's family, um, this was his stepfather, John London, and Jack was about from the age of five to seven, they lived in the Woodstock area. Now, now that was Oakland. But when they cut the estuary through, it became Alameda. So Jack London lived actually, everybody said he lived totally in Oakland, but he actually lived in Alameda on 10 acres of land in near what is now Actually, it was the same land that is now Woodstock Park and Shipman School in Alameda. So uh, we uh, were able to talk to people whose families were old-time residents who were, that was an Italian settlement, and uh, German and Irish, and uh, Robert Louis Stevenson, who was Scotch, uh, married the sister of a woman who lived right down the street well actually adjoining this big teenager farm where Jack London lived so their relatives lived there at the same time that Jack London when he was a child lived there and Robert Louis Stevenson visited there and before he sailed away to the South Seas he was there frequently with his wife with her sister the Orf, at the Orr family home they owned a copra plant right there in the neighborhood in sort of their field and the field that adjoined Jack London's the field where Jack London was so he really knew all about Robert Louis Stevenson from the time he was a little boy when he was about 12 years old and selling newspapers of course that's when Jack London knew that front page stories that um, Robert Louis Stevenson sailed away on the ship that he, that the Stevenson's leased from Samuel Merritt, who was trying to found the University of California in Oakland. And who created <laughs> Lake Merritt. Correct. And so all of these, they're so interconnected. The stories are so interwoven. It's just a, a really fascinating to follow this trail and this trail. You have to be a detective and say, how does this tie in? Well, psychologically, is it logical? What would have happened here? And you put the puzzle together, and, and that's part of the fun of being a writer.
Well, it sounds like it's going to be a very exciting book. I was fascinated reading the series in the uh, post-newspaper groups. Well, we it began... takes me away from my own poetry, though. That's the only thing is that uh, uh, my my mind is divided. Part of the time, I want to be free, 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 just to write, write, write my own poetry for myself. And part of the time, I want to say, oh, no, I've got to give this gift to the world of, of Jack London's involvement with the black community. Well, that is what I was going to go back to, how we began saying Jack London wanted to be a poet, and instead he became a world-famous novelist. Well, Mary Rudge is a poet. So in closing, Mary, as Poet Laureate of Alameda, do you think you could share some poems of your own with us? Oh, I'd love to. Love, love poetry. Love to read it. Love to write it. This is called The Wednesday After Tuesday. I became a poet because of deep and directional lines in my palms, because of the way my fingers held a pen, then found rhythm over computer frets where words came in riffs, cadences, and beats. These also were the styles of men. Signs poetry would still evolve, even in San Francisco, where in the mythic past Avalon was a ballroom and Janice, still in Texas, confused, a country girl not yet come to hipdom. Women had breasts like Mount Tamalpais born for milk and honey. Yet, born a poet, all I need is a room built around a window with a bowl of goldfish. I'm not going to think of some place to go, so I say, like Nicaragua again or Morocco, I'm going to stay for poems. The leaves will continue to vibrate with sun, the earth pulse and herm and hum. There is a raccoon and possum universe somewhere on a road's directional line. The spiritual journey begins in the brain. I'm going along just writing, bones just right for making poems, this Wednesday after Tuesday, after the Monday, which was my birthday this year, born to be a poet. You and I did a workshop on my birthday at the library in Oakland at the Lakeshore Branch Library. I wrote this poem two days after that. And I have another one. Can I, do I have time? Yes. Okay. Uh, there's a person on online who has uh, something called a prompt every day for the 30 days during National Poetry Month, which is April. And every day you t- tune in and find out what the prompt is for that day, and two or 300 people will all write a poem to that prompt. I've never done that before. Normally, I write what comes from out of me that's been hibernating in there for a long time. Uh, so I don't usually write on purpose that from an outside somebody tells you to write this. But on day 12, which was Easter Sunday, the prompt was, so we decided to. And this is my poem. What was the prompt? So we decided to. Oh, I see. Okay. So we decided to, and then everybody writes a poem beginning with, so we divide. Or puts it somewhere in the poem. So that became my title. So we decided to. John Lennon and Yoko Ono married at Gibraltar, so we decided to go, just see the rock be, with our feet in the same place. If you've ever loved someone else's life, you know. Yuck. All those people threw up on the boat on the way. The rock had a fence around it like a psychic moat. There was no music outside in the field for our dance. So we decided to live our own lives and went on to France. Unlike Gertrude Stein, for whom, if she didn't see it, it wasn't there. Unlike Thomas the Apostle, who said to believe he must put his fingers where. And even though it was hard to journey among people who made such a mess, we just 
took love with us and kept going on. I haven't yet written the rest. The next day I woke up and I wrote part two. Part two, continuing on. Gibraltar, we just rolled on past the rock. Place empty as a tomb. What had been there was gone, so we decided to journey on. Later in the day I wrote part three. Remember the outcry when he wrote, they're going to crucify me? Crucify, a child said. That means you're dead. Someone killed him, I cried. I'm still sad that he died. Even though we know love and music just go on, the power of creativity is great. Something can happen in this world so wonderful that angels sing. And we have tickets to go on to, well, it might be heaven, but so far as this poem goes, I'll say it's France. Thank you, Mary Rudge. You've just heard Mary Rudge, and she's just read her own poetry and spoken to us about Jack London and the African-American community in Oakland. Thank you, Mary, and thank you all for listening. KPFA volunteers and donors who supported us during our 60th anniversary celebration. From May 5th to May 22nd, we encourage all KPFA listeners to participate in our spring fun drive. Volunteering during our fun drives is a great opportunity to become a member of KPFA. The phone room opens at 6.30 a.m. on weekdays and at 7 a.m. on weekends. If you need more information about volunteering, please contact Eden at 510-848-6767, extension 205, or email eden at kpfa.org. KPFA is located at 1929 Martin.